Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to the Chris Cast. Joining me once again this week is Paul via Facebook Messenger. Say hello, Paul. Hello, Paul. <laughs> not had all that much news since the last Chris Cast because it's not been all that many days in between. Oh, special programming note for next week, though. It's our Black Friday special. We will be recording on Black Friday. So we're going to not do any news next week and just do reviews of Christmas shows and movies. Yay! So it'll be a little bit different. Something something special for the holiday. Oh, yes. Yes, 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 yes. And well, also... We're trying to digest all of our leftover turkey and gravy and uh, uh, all the potatoes and everything. Well, see, I'm working Thanksgiving Day, so my Thanksgiving feast is actually going to be on Black Friday. Oh, okay. But I, well, I think my... everybody's Thanksgiving is going to be different this year. I went, I went to the the market today and got my corn turkey roast, the T U R K apostrophe Y because it's vegetarian. That thing yep. is so freaking good! I can't tell you. Are you serious? I am so serious. It's it's basically done like a a tube of sausage or hamburger meat, you know, with the little staples at the end holding it together with the plastic wrap. Yeah. And you just cut cut it open and put it in the oven and it, I think you cut it open. Yeah, you cook it in the the wrap. And then when you bring it out of the oven, you cut that open and it is so juicy and tender and tasty and just phenomenal and wow that sounds disgusting it's delicious and i had a friend at work a couple years ago i let her try it she actually loved it she was talking about how really good it tasted problem is it's kind of expensive i've really been turned on to the meatless options here lately especially now with the introduction of the you know that whopper at burger king and you know i'm open to it and i've had uh meatless sausage uh um like sausage biscuits and made it with the uh veggies patty sausage and it's that is actually surprisingly really good it is very good so i'm just i'm just pulling your leg i know it's good oh it's it's very good stuff and we talked about it just before we started recording i think we mentioned it last week if not we'll go ahead and mention it this week mcdonald's of course coming up with the mcplant developing their own version of a veggie burger and the article that i read it was going to be a breakfast patty as well as lunch or dinner patty so i'm guessing they're going to do sausage as well as and i wonder if they'll go the extra mile and do bacon as well i mean sausage and hamburger is pretty much a given but bacon is also a product that's done as a vegetarian version so they may do that too. Well, I was getting ready to say I've had the vegetarian version of the bacon, but I forgot it was turkey bacon that I've had. So no, I don't think I've had the meatless bacon. Uh, um, but anyway, I've had turkey bacon. I like turkey bacon. Well, the, the veggie bacon that I've had that I like is, I believe, Morningstar Farms. And it doesn't work if you microwave Cannot microwave. Dude, you never microwave uh, bacon. Who microwaves well, it's bacon? vegetarian, so it's different. And 
I've tried microwaving it. It was not that good. Put it in a skillet. Excellent. Yeah, that's the only way I cut my bacon is in a skillet. I don't care if it's fake bacon, tofurkey bacon, whatever. I'm only going to slap it in a skillet because I want to hear it sizzle. The only thing about the skillet with the bacon is it's easy to burn it, the veggie bacon. So you got to watch it really closely. Yeah, you got to you got to keep flipping it, and because it's there's no grease popping, so flipping it's not really an op, a problem. But definitely got to keep moving with it. From my experience, anyways, other people may have been much better culinary masters than I am, and be able to cook much better. But but this conversation perfectly segues into one of my stories this week that you said you also had. Is the yep. Beyond Meats New Burgers. They are changing the recipe. Two different kinds. There's a healthy option and a juicier option. The healthy option is stated to be less tasty, whereas the juicy option is supposed to be the tastier of the two. However, and I'm getting this from CNET.com, let me get the actual numbers here. One of the company's two new burgers arriving in early 2021 will have 35% less fat than 80-20 ground beef. The other will have 55% less fat. So the juicier option will have 35% less fat than regular burger. And the healthy option will have 55% less fat than regular burger. Which, even if you're not vegetarian for animal rights, if you have to give up red meat because of heart conditions or whatever, perfect alternative right here for you. And I've had Beyond Burger stuff, and they have been good. Yeah, I've had the Beyond Burger stuff, too, and I could literally make a change over to this and not miss burgers whatsoever. I could literally, like, chow down on that big time. And the way that it's pictured, I see I actually, Chris is using... (laughs) his uh, computer to pull up the stories and I actually printed them out. That's why you're hearing the paper crinkle. So I'm here sitting here like an old, uh, old time, uh, t- you know, reporter here, you know, got my papers here in front of me. And, um, but I wish you could see the pictures of this. These burgers look amazing. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this. I really am. Well, they can see the pictures if they want to search them online. It's beyond meats, new burgers, the juicier option and the healthier option. So I highly suggest them. But gonna gonna go into two quick political stories this week to get that out of the way. First up, the Minnesota GOP sent virus alert only to its side of the aisle, and this is from the StarTribune.com. It says, some t- some Republicans tested positive, but no DFLers were told before session. And we did have to look it up to find out what DFL was, because it's not in this article. It's the Minnesota Democratic Farmer Labor Party. And I don't care what your political affiliation is. If you have a disease that's highly contagious, you need to let other people know or stay away from them. Plain of and course. simple. And... My guess is there were no masks being used when they found this out, other than a select few. And not letting the other side of the aisle know, 
that's just petty and childish. And I don't care what your political affiliation is. I would say the same thing if it were a Democrat doing this. You treat others with respect if you want to get respect. And that's something people have forgotten. It's a little thing called the golden rule. And have empathy and have common sense and have... It, 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 I could go on and on and on, but I can't, I can't believe that they actually just sent an alert out to Republican. Come on. Yeah. That is just like they're wanting the Democrats to die. That is just so rotten. Well, the, the article, just another little paragraph from it. In the memo, Craig Sondag, the Senate, the Senate Republican Chief of Staff, declined to reveal the names of the infected, citing a balance between the infected people's right to privacy and the need of their contacts to know they had been exposed. He instructed all GOP Senate staffers to work from home, including during Thursday's special session. So, if you can inform your people to do that, you can inform the other side to do that, just to keep everybody safe. It's not a political thing. It's a human thing. It's human, yeah. But the only other political story I have this week is the Trump lawsuits. And they are losing steam fast. I don't know if you saw in Michigan, Trump's lawyers in court had to admit they had no evidence of fraud. Well, this article is from PBS.org. Trump campaign retreats from key claim in Pennsylvania suit. Trump's campaign is withdrawing a central part of its lawsuit seeking to stop the certification of the election results in Pennsylvania where Democrat Joe Biden beat Trump to capture the state and help win the White House. Ahead of a Tuesday hearing in the case, Trump's campaign dropped the allegation that hundreds of thousands of mail-in and absentee, vote, absentee ballots, 682,479 to be precise, were illegally processed without its representatives watching. So the claim of fraud has been dropped from the lawsuit, basically. Oh says, my God. Says the campaign's sundown lawsuit filed in federal court on Sunday maintains the, uh, the aim of blocking Pennsylvania from certifying a victory for Biden in the state, and it maintains its claim that Democratic voters were treated more favorably than Republican voters. So basically they're saying, Oh, you were nice to them and mean to us, man, man, man. Oh, dear God, I can't roll my eyes hard enough. Idiots. They're all idiots. And weren't they the ones who called the liberals snowflakes as an insult? Well, yeah, and they're also the ones that blocked highways to try to keep people from going to vote. They're also the ones that had guns outside a lot of the polling stations, intimidating people from going in and going inside and voting. I mean, it's always the Republicans. What's up with that? You know, I just found, I think I mentioned this the last time on the last show, and correct me, and I'm sure you are going to correct me when I say this, but I found out in Canada it is actually illegal to do open carry. You can have a concealed weapon. You can have a weapon. You can have a gun. It's okay for you to own one. But you cannot do open carry. The second you do open carry, you get arrested and put in jail. And I wish they'd have that here in the United States. I wish they would. I'm tired of seeing people out in public with guns on their hips. Really, 
going into TJ Maxx shopping to buy some t-shirts and underwear. And you got to wear that damn gun in on your head or go out grocery shopping. Oh, remember, remember the whole other week when I was going, isn't it exhausting? Uh, it was last week. <laughs> and since, since you mentioned TJ Maxx, I don't know if I mentioned this to you or, you know, or even mentioned it on the show, but I've been to TJ Maxx two or three times in the last month or so. Oh, and, I've got your things for you. And um, the one thing I've noticed, and I don't know how it's happened, because it's the only place that I have noticed it, but in TJ Maxx, the ratio of people wearing masks was 100% every time I went. That's right, because we're enforcing it. I'm like... I have not been in any business where everybody in the place was wearing a mask, except for TJ Maxx. I, I can go ahead and attest for that because I am, I call myself a mask, a mask Nazi. I'm the one that stands at the front door and I'm the very first person you see as you walk into TJ Maxx in the evenings. And if the people's not wearing it, I, this is exact my phrasing to it, I say, Hey folks, thank you for coming in with us tonight. We do require ma- we do require masks as you come in. I said if you do not have one, we happy to supply you with one. And they said, oh, by all means, you know, I see all the people just scrambling. We're giving, but I'm handed. I bet I handed out thirty five masks tonight to people coming in, and they were very apologetic about it too. So yes, we are diligent in. Um, in our mask wearing uh, for all of our customers. Well, your store is 30 minutes away from the one that I'm talking about, too, and it's considerably different. I mean... Oh, yeah. The The location of yours is more of a, a city, whereas the yeah. location of mine is a little bit more backwoods mentality. And of for a town, yeah. this one to have... 100% compliance every time I've been in there. I gotta give them respect, both the, the customers and the staff, for actually complying with something that's very easy to do to take care of each other. That's right. Oh, and you remember a few weeks ago, I, I still won't name the name of the restaurant, but remember I told you that I went in there, they had no masks on, and... They had a thing about a Trump rally on the counter, so I walked out and never did buy food and didn't get a menu or anything. Uh, I remember that, yeah. That restaurant was closed down because of COVID for a couple weeks. <laughs> Shut down on election oh, day. sorry. I should not applaud that because people are actually losing their jobs over this and probably not being able to sign up over it. But guess what? That's how it spread is you're not wearing a mask. And I noticed, I uh, saw on... Uh, the news, well actually I listened to the news this morning on the way into work, that it is actually hitting the rural areas harder right now because people out here like where you and I live in the rural area just seems to think it's it's not affecting them so much. And they're exactly wrong. And I went inside of a store here near my house, not going to mention the name of it, but um, me and one other customer and the cashiers were wearing a mask. Nobody else in that store was wearing a mask. Not one person. I couldn't get out of there fast enough. I couldn't. No. I left. We went to a restaurant for the first time tonight since the whole coronavirus started. And we specifically went later so there would not be as much of a crowd. 
we went yeah. and I think there was one other table in there when we got there. That table emptied out and then one other table came in while we were eating. So sitting there without the masks on, I didn't feel so bad because, it, I mean, it's the whole restaurant and they're separating people considerably in there. So, and that was fats. So, that, I mean, it's just, they're actually oh, trying good. and we still need to support them. And I've, like I said, I've been getting takeout and bringing it home, but it was nice to be able to actually go sit down in a restaurant and enjoy ourselves for a change. It is, it is. And I've, I've done some sit-down restaurants since we've been reopened and um, and I've been really surprised at how far they space you apart from everybody. So, and there's not been one time I haven't felt safe. So, but I'm glad you got to finally go out and get that experience and feel that again. Um, and you had a good idea to everybody that's out there listening. That's a good idea. Instead of, you know, going peak times between, you know, six o'clock to eight o'clock or nine o'clock for dinner, go a little bit later and or uh, earlier. get the same Huh? If you can't wait till later, go earlier. In between yeah. lunch and dinner rush, and then after the dinner rush. It's good times to go because they're not as busy. Problem is, if everybody so follows that advice, then nobody will be eating at dinner, and everybody will be eating at the un- off time. So, but, but we, we thought about a different restaurant. It had quite a few cars in the parking lot, so we didn't even try. We just went on down to Fats. There were not many Which cars in the lot, so it was Cracker Barrel. And I just, oh yeah, I didn't want to eat with a bunch of people in there, and it was probably about seven, seven thirty when we went. Probably closer to seven thirty actually, but I, I would say Cracker Barrel is probably one of my favorite restaurants to eat at now. Their well, food is always consistent. Well, since they got through the the hate way of hiring, but yeah. I do, while we're talking about the coronavirus, I do want to mention this one story. It was from WSOCTV.com. And this very much highlights the need for wearing your masks and protecting others. Coronavirus. Texas four-year-old loses both parents to COVID-19 within 102 days. That is terrible. In the span of only months... Raiden Gonzalez lost both his parents to COVID-19, and the San Antonio boy is barely one week shy of his fifth birthday. And it says his mother... That is horrible. His grandmother told NBC News on Saturday, he misses his mom since he was a mama's boy. Just this morning, he told me that he wishes he had his mom back, and he just wanted her back. So if you really care about the children, think about this kind of impact that you're having by not wearing a mask. This kid's parents died because of coronavirus. And if everybody would just wear their mask, doing something simple to take care of each other, we could have a much better handle on this situation. I agree, Chris. Um, You know, you and I both have really harped a lot on this. You know, the simplest thing you can do is wear your mask, Wash your hands, sanitize your hands, and social distance when you can. And then you have those diehard people like um, stay on Facebook. Um, Again, I'm not mentioning any names because more than likely they do listen to the show. 
and um, they are about every other post is about a mask or not or wearing no mask and how much masks are not working. Uh, I don't chime in on any of their posts because they're a, they're a public figure and I'm not really going to go into what type of a public figure they are. But um, I can't help but think what mentality do you have? Because I know in their past, in their past jobs they've had, they had to wear a mask because they were EMT. Um, you know, to protect them against patients and protect patients against him and what have you. And now they're they're still having to wear a mask, but for a different facet of their job, and I can't go into that. But anyways, and here they're saying masks don't work. I just don't get how someone can rely on masks as a part of their job and then turn around and say they don't work. Then why do you wear it at your work then? Why? I know probably because your, your job requires you to wear it, but if you don't believe in it, well, by all means, don't wear a mask and just hey, play Russian roulette with your life and your family's life at the same time. It's simple. It is the most simplest thing you could possibly do is to wear a mask to show that you have respect for someone else's life. And, Period. And, that's, that's all it takes. And I don't know if you saw, but the CDC has now announced, which it's common sense, but <coughs> the CDC has now officially announced that Wearing a mask does help prevent you from catching it. It's not 100% like everything. And, of course, you're still going to be able to catch it through the mask. Because masks are never going to be 100% effective. Unless it's like the CDC hazmat suit. Where it's got its own ventilation and everything preventing anything from getting in or out. Yeah. And we're not walking around in those because, frankly, none of us can afford them. And we don't have the need in our everyday life. But just doing something small to help somebody. And it's not just keeping you safe, keeping your family safe. It's keeping everybody safe. That's right. And then something else along this line. I don't know if you saw it, but... Moderna has announced their COVID-19 vaccine is at a 94.5% effect rate. And did you see who one of the big donors for it was? Dolly! We love her! And she's leading by example. But this is from CNN.com. It says, In April, less than a month after COVID-19 was officially declared a pandemic, Dolly Parton donated $1 million to coronavirus research at Vanderbilt University. More than seven months later, it's been revealed that the legendary performer's donation helped fund Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine, which this week became the second coronavirus vaccine with a stunningly high success rate. It says Parton's name appears in the preliminary report on the vaccine among sponsors like the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, which Dr. Anthony Fauci heads, and Emory University. She originally donated to Vanderbilt University Medical Center in honor of her friend and Vanderbilt professor of surgery, Dr. Najee, uh, and I'm sorry about the pronunciation of this, Abumrad. So, Dolly, you know, this is one thing I've always said about Dolly. She, of any celebrity, she is the most likely 
just from location to grow up with the backwoods mentality and hate. And yeah. she doesn't have it. She actually cares about everybody equally. You see it in the things that she does. The fact that she donated this money to the vaccine research. The fact that she bought Silver Dollar City because she knew the town needed help. Because Silver Dollar City was about to go bankrupt. And she made it Dollywood. Brought tourism to the area. Brought jobs to the area. Had jobs of her own brought to the area. I mean, she really turned that place around and made it a booming business. And everybody there has Dolly to thank. So, you know, she gives back. Even if it's through business ventures where she's making a profit, she's still giving back during it. And you see her talk about her fans. She loves all of them equally. She doesn't care if they're gay, if they're straight, if they're religious, if they're not. She's a very religious person. And that's, again... You would think she would not care for the gay fans because of her religion, but she actually follows the religion the way it's supposed to be followed. She loves everybody. Love thy neighbor. Yeah. She is a true definition of the human humanitarian. She is... That woman is an amazing woman. If everyone could be like Dolly, this world would be a whole much better place. It would be. And... You know, I will put somebody else out there who I'm not a fan of. Let me just say that at first. Not a fan of her, but easily equal to Dolly in her caring, and that's Taylor Swift. Yeah. Taylor Swift gives back an incredible amount, and I will always give her credit for that. She is, again, like Dolly, cares about all of her fans. She never talks bad about any of them. She makes them feel welcome. And I respect that from her. Like I said, I'm not a fan of her music. Never want to hear her music. But I will I, give her every bit of credit that she deserves. I remember a couple of years ago, whenever they do those those country music um, days where they perform all the all the country music stars get together and perform for the fans, and it's for free. And it's like it's the country music festival. She stood outside of her travel tour bus and she had a sharpie magic marker and she sat there and signed autographs and took pictures along with fans for every fan that wanted to meet her and she stayed out there 14 hours straight taking pictures and autographs for everyone and she put Roman she put down like one two three four and a five mark across her arm she had 14 marks across her arm for the hours she stayed out there until the very last fan wanted to meet her and she stayed out there the whole time there's another celebrity who you know I absolutely adore and got to know because of the TV show Arrow but that's Stephen Amell and he will post on his social media whenever he's doing a convention appearance that he's there for the long haul every fan will get signed if they get there in time that's awesome and he goes through everybody that's in line at time and goes through everybody until they're done and promises he will so it's people like that that make you respect them more as a celebrity and then there's the flip side of it, and I'm going to use somebody that I do like a lot, and I've mentioned that I'm still mad at her because she shared bad information about COVID, but that's Madonna. And when you, when you get to the level of fandom that she has, 
you have to start scaling back some. Because you, you think about it. If Madonna's at a signing and they allow, say, until from noon till three, people who get in line will get an autograph. Oh, God. That line is going to be so long that she's going to be there until 12, 1 o'clock in the morning trying to Shit, sign those autographs. She'll be there for weeks. And so that's the flip side of it. When when you do get to that mega mega stardom, it you do have to scale back and come across as not being as nice and pleasant as you'd like to be. But you yeah, have you know, to as, as we're talking about humanitarians, I can't you know him getting ready to fix in the mansion and you know he, he hopes to get us book a world record of being the most generous person at the time when he was alive. I, I know that they're still using his money to donate and try to make the world a better place is the is Michael Jackson. He um, got so many humanitarian awards whenever he was alive, and he actually got to Guinness Book of World Records as of being the most generous person donating to different charities across the world at the time when he was alive. So um, he was a good, he was a generous person when he was alive. I don't know if the Michael Jackson. Uh, estate is still. I imagine they probably are carrying out his wishes still. So, uh, anyways, he was a good one too. But um, I do have some stories here I want to talk about. Of your, are you done with yours? No, I've or? still got more to go. Um, but one thing, real quick, on that. Go ahead. The mention of Michael Jackson. I'm not taking anything away from him, but yeah. Also, as a human being, don't you think that when you reach a certain level of financial success? that it becomes your responsibility to start giving back to. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. Like, Look at J.K. Rowling. Look at J.K. Rowling. She's well, the very first person. Now, listen. She's yeah, the very first we, person. we got to remember, to go she's, from, she's uh, treading listen, bad waters here. Listen, she was the very first person to go from a billionaire status to a millionaire status from all the money she has donated. And I know she's made comments about... Um, trans people and she got attacked hard for that but she's apologized for that as well but after she apologized she made more comments and that's yeah. the problem it's, it's basically she's telling us who she is and that's the problem so but switching from that because it kind of brings this story up pretty good the this is from Romper.com. Walking Dead star Carrie Payton introduces transgender son in a heartfelt post. It says, in a series of heartwarming social media posts, Walking Dead star Carrie Payton introduced his transgender son to the world with pride. After revealing it had been his son's idea to make his transgender identity public, the 48-year-old actor said that there was nothing more beautiful than watching his child experience the joy that comes along with being their true selves. And that you need to applaud too, because here he is actually loving his child the way he should, and he is yeah. celebrating his child. And agree with it, don't agree with it, that's up to you. Personally, I'm not transgender, I don't understand it, but I'm not going to hold it against somebody. And. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm not going to ridicule somebody because they feel like they're trapped in the wrong body. Because I don't feel that way and I can't begin to understand how that feels. So therefore, I don't have a right to ridicule it. 
that reminds me of that story, and it came across. And it, 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 as soon as I mention this, it's everybody's going to remember it. When that little, when the mom, when the mom and dad had the little boy who loved to dress up like a princess everywhere, so they allowed him to wear princess dresses going out in public, and he kind of got tired of people calling him a little girl, which is not a little girl, it's a little boy, but he loved to dress up like a princess. He started dressing up as a princess with his son, and they go out shopping. I think that's called Parenting 101 to 100%. I mean, you can't, uh, I mean, that just brings tears to my eyes just thinking about how amazing that father is with his son. Yeah, always support your child unless they're doing wrong. And oh, yeah. Wearing different types of clothes or becoming a different sex, that's the child themselves. And it's not something to ridicule. It's not something to hate. It's not something to fear. Yeah. Because, in all actuality, if they're hurting anybody, they're hurting themselves. And not being them true selves hurts them more than anything. So, let them be who they are and don't judge them. Because you don't know. That's right. That's right. You never know um, what's going on in somebody else's shoes. You never know. And moving on real quick... An update from last week. This is from NBCNewYork.com. Al Roker, as you know, we mentioned having prostate cancer last week. On yeah. today, on Tuesday of this past Excuse week, me. The, he said, It was this great relief. For a first start, this is terrific news. I'm going to be up for, and a lot of people who live with cancer, up for lifelong testing to make sure this doesn't come back. His prostate cancer, there's no evidence left. So he has currently awesome. beaten it. Uh, now, I hope they stay on top of it because there's a reason why. There's two people that I know. One of them came back, and they thought they had it in control the second time around, and he ended up dying from it. Now, there's another where it's one of my co-workers' husband's, he had prostate cancer, and within six months, it came back in fierce. Well, he so now they're battling that right now, and it's he's he's doing good, but that's a, that's a cancer that will sneak up on you again. It really will. They need to stay on top of it. Well, he his quote that I read, he said he is up for lifelong testing to make sure it doesn't come but of back. Course, so. But of course, with him being a celebrity, he's got probably some of the best care too. So. Well, he can afford better Um, care, for sure. Of course. Of course. Did you also see the auction of the Rudolph and Santa figures? No. What's that about? This is from abcnews.go.com. A buyer shouted out with glee that they would pay $368,000 for the Rudolph and Santa Claus figures used in the perennial beloved special... Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Oh, the claymation figures? Yes. The actual wow. figures that were used for the special. Oh, $368,000 at auction. For both of them? Yep. They were expecting you know, it to top if, out at one hundred fifty to 200000 If, you know, I have, like, money to burn, I would have bought them. I think that would have been super cool. But I think I would have put them in a museum, though, so people would actually enjoy them. I think that's what I think I would do with them. 
so that could be archived. And there was also a new chart record set this past week. Did you see? Uh oh. BBC.com said Kylie Minogue sets UK chart records with her new album Disco. Her 15th studio album Disco topped the charts with 55,000 sales, meaning it has also scored the best opening week of any new release in 2020 so far. It is her eighth number one, meaning she has overtaken Elton John, Cliff Richard, and George Michael in the all-time chart leaderboard. It's what? also the first act to top the charts in five different decades. Michael Jackson has had hits in... This is the UK charts, first off. Oh, the UK charts. Okay, I was going to say, Michael Jackson spanned the decades, too. Right. And also share. But did they hit number one in five different decades consecutively? Kylie Minogue uh, has the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s, and now the 2020s. Well, That's Michael had... Five decades consecutive. Michael had the 60s, the 70s. The 60s doesn't count because it was the Jacksons, not Michael. Hey, he, he it, is still it's a different. Member of the they won't count it. Anyways, well, he had in well, he broke out his solo career in 1972 with Ben. So, okay, 70s, 80s, 90s. The 90s. I don't know if he's had anything. His death was not until after 2010, was it? His death was in 2010. So he would have topped the charts again in 2010. But I don't know if he had a top of the charts in the decade of the 2000s. He, now, he came out with that posthumous album. and uh, But it didn't do that well. But, it let's was his, see here. His I don't think he hit number so one, well. though. But that was another I'm thing. I'm still going... I'm still going with the 60s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. So that's 40 years. Yeah, but it's still only four decades. Kylie Minogue has five decades. I'll never forget my very first time ever hearing her sing was la, 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 No. The first time you heard her sing was the locomotion. Nobody wants to hear you sing, Paul. But the, the first time you heard her sing was most likely the locomotion. Oh, yeah. Come on, baby, do the locomotion. Oh, I remember that song. Yeah. I didn't know that was Kylie Minogue. Yep. Was that, that was, Kylie Minogue? That was her in the 80s when she was a teenager. Oh, my God. The things you learn wow. when you're talking to me. Uh, Chris, I wasn't alive in the 80s. I just I, I have to... Actually, take a way back pill for that one. So. Was was that when you were became a vampire and you were undead for that decade? You are truly a bitch. <laughs> but moving on, NBC New York again. Disney Plus blows past expectations for its first year with 73.7 million subscribers. And we all know who's to thank for that. It's Baby Yoda. Oh, Who doesn't Come love Baby now. Yoda? I don't like it. Baby Yoda is adorable and lovable and 
Everybody loves shoot, Baby Yoda. You are just wrong on this. Head. Shoot me in the head now. Whatever. Go ahead, people. Go to Paul's Twitter. Go to his Facebook. Tell him how wrong he is for not loving Baby Yoda. The reason why everybody's tuning in because they Baby Yoda. No. Stream Baby any, Yoda. Bite me. Stream any Disney movie at any time at all. But it's not any Disney and, movie, actually. And also Hocus Pocus. And also Star Wars. Come on, Star Wars has a huge Baby draw. Yoda. Baby Yoda can bite my honey and whatever. I've tried to get into that show and I just, I don't see this, I don't see the appeal. I'm sorry. Go ahead and hate on me. Paul we do I hate you. Paul uh, on Twitter. Just go ahead and do it. Just, I'm ready for it. Just bring it. We just do hate it. you Come because on. Baby Yoda is awesome and the second greatest character in the Star Wars franchise behind, of course, the real Yoda. Who was a Muppet, by the way? I thought you were going to say, um, uh, let's see, what's his name? The big, um, the big fat thing. Big fat worm. What's his name? Huh? Jabba, Jabba the Hutt. I thought no. you were going to say Jabba the Hutt. Why would I like Jabba the Hutt the best? He was a villain. Actually, the best Star Wars character is Chewbacca. No. Yoda. Yeah. Chewbacca. Yoda could crush Chewbacca with his mind. Oh, God, this is exhausting. Okay, what else are we talking about? Uh, did you see who announced officially joining the Suicide Squad this week? Ooh, I did see that. Um, uh, I read it, and I was like, hmm. Anyway, go ahead. Sylvester Stallone. That's right. So... That cast now includes Margot Robbie, Idris Elba, John Cena, Peter Capaldi, Viola Davis, who I absolutely adore, Pete Davidson, Nathan Fillion, Alice Braga, and so many more. Well, kind of along that line, did you see what I sent to you on your text messages today? I, I haven't did watched it. I saw it. it. I, I saw it was the trailer for Justice League, but I haven't watched it. Yeah, and it's just got released today, and I watched it. It's actually freaking unbelievable. Well, one more thing. I've got one last that I want to save for last. It's a, kind of an uh, uplifting story. Well, I, don't forget me. I, I know, I know. But the, did you see what the CW has announced as far as a new series in the works? The CW? I don't think I have. Wonder Girl. The problem is it's going to be something completely different from the comics. Of course, there was Donna Troy was the first Wonder Girl. Cassie Sandsmark was the second. And I don't know if they've gone to a third or not. I've not really followed Wonder Girl extremely close because she's not Wonder Woman. But it's still the Wonder Family. This one, this is from NBCNews.com. A Latina dreamer who's an Amazonian warrior goddess? Wonder Girl series is in the works. The series revolves around Yara Flor, a Latina dreamer who was born of an Amazonian warrior and a Brazilian river god. So, I don't know if they're even going to mention Wonder Woman in it. They need to because it's the greatest character of DC Comics or anything in history. 
But DC has a tendency to ignore Wonder Woman, and why, I do not know. Why are they redoing this yet again? They're not. Why? Wonder Girl has not been done as a series of its own. Wonder Girl has appeared in the Titans series on DC Universe and was really, really well done. And there's talk of a spinoff for her character from that show, which I would love to see because, like I said, she was really well done. But this has never happened for a Wonder Girl show. What's the difference between Wonder Girl and Wonder Woman? Please tell me. Okay, the original Wonder Girl, Wonder Woman found an orphan in a building that was burning. I can't remember the whole story, but she took that child to Paradise Island, which is now known as Themyscira, and she was trained in the Amazon ways and became Wonder Girl. Oh. This one, I don't really know how they're going to work it out, but again, they need to have Wonder Woman as part of it, and Legends of Tomorrow, part of the Arrowverse, did introduce Themyscira, in the past when they took Helen of Troy to Themyscira. So there is the potential there. It's just DC ignores Wonder Woman. Yeah. Okay. Um, what else you got? That's it except for my last story. And I want to save okay. it for the end. I want to bring up... I wanna, I've got a few stories I want to share here. Um, I noticed where Disney expands holiday hours at their Florida parks, just their Florida parks for coming up for the upcoming holiday season. It says that Disney is allowing visitors to spend more time at the Orlando theme parks. Most of the time, most of this, most of them are staying open an extra hour according to the calendar at Walt Disney World's website. And includes Magic Kingdom will be open from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern times and Fridays and Saturdays. The parks will have yet have yet to return to pre-coronavirus pandemic operating hours. So, um, real quick, that's telling me they, they want some money. Did, did you see this week? Kind of related, you know, in California, Governor Gavin Newsom will not allow the park to reopen exactly. Did you see that he was caught going to a social gathering or something, not following his own guidelines? Imagine that. So, and this is a Democratic governor, so let's let's put it out there. We're faulting him just the same as we fault everybody else. He I needs know. to follow his own guidelines. So, yeah. Uh, we will call people out for the hypocrisy for what it is, people. So, yes, we'll even fault the Democrats. And he needs to be shamed. Dingbat. What are they thinking? And along the... we can, This is kind of like politics a little bit. Did you see this story? Oh, never mind. It's a North Dakota lawmakers redirected $16 million in corona and virus aid to fracking. Did you see that story? I've seen that that Trump's basically trying to open up fracking as much as possible before he leaves office. Because who cares about the country or the earth? Yeah, who cares? Who cares? We're just going to destroy it. We want more oil and more gas just to spew out into the atmosphere and put more uh, um, gases up in the atmosphere so we can just create this earth. Did you also see where that prehistoric worm... Did we talk about that last show? Where the prehistoric worm woke up and now is now alive? It was actually frozen in permafrost? 
I think you mentioned it, but but no, I, I don't know if it was before we recorded the last show or not, but did you also see that in one day there was an earthquake in Alaska and I believe it was southern New England the same oh. morning? At the same time? Yep. Not at the same time, but the same, same day. And also, just a little, this is just a little fun story. Um, it's not so much fun, but, you know, someone got a payday for this. This is from CNN.com. An ultra-rare coin celebrating Julius Caesar's assassination sells for a record $3.4 million for one coin. Um, it says, bought by an anonymous bidder for $3.5 million. The heiress coin features a portrait of Marcus Junius Brutus, one of the ringleaders of the assassination of Julius Caesar in 44 BC. It also de- depicts the daggers used by Brutus as his co-conspirator, co-conspirator Cassius to slay the ancient general in the theater of Pompeii in Rome. Uh, this is a wicked-looking old coin. But yeah, um, $3.4 million. I mean, I want to show that coin to you, Chris. Look at the detail on that coin. Yep, it's how it didn't rub down either, because that is, for those who can't see a, it, if you if you look it up online, you'll be able to see, but there's definition to it. The, the stuff still stands out from the face of the coin, Think of like a quarter with the the head poking out and the the back with and the stuff can, coming out. It's and like you can, that. And you can see it's not perfect. I mean, yeah. that. Why can't I run into stuff like that? The, the closest thing I've came to that is whenever I found a penny laying on the floor, and I think someone planted it there at TJ Maxx was at Christmas, and I could tell it looked different and it weighed different. So um, I didn't think anything of it. I put it up on the counter, and somebody said, oh, is this somebody's penny? I said, I found it on the floor, and I picked it up and looked at it, and it was smaller than a regular penny, and it was solid copper. And I said, ooh, i got a penny to put in the register. I want to keep this one. So I took it home, and I've got it in here on my, on my bookcase in my bedroom, and that, that, came, that was a penny that was made in 1899. 1899, and it's in perfect condition. And some of those pennies sell from anywhere between 125 to 175 dollars a piece. So that one penny is worth that much. That one penny. I think someone planted it. They had to have. Or they, they meant to keep it, and when they grabbed out their stuff, they dropped it on the floor. Or something else that happens is grandparents were collecting these coins. Grandchildren don't know what the coins are for. They inherit them from their grandparents when they pass. They don't think about it, and they put it back into circulation. I mean, you could literally feel like and see the difference between like a regular penny and the old penny because it was smaller, but it weighed more than a regular penny because you know being solid copper. It was. It was. Is it? I'm glad I found it. Well, my parents used to collect silver Anthony or Susan B. Anthony silver dollars and such, so they had the. The coin books where they had the different years and the different mints and all that that they put into them. Yeah. I'm not even sure what's happened to those at this point. Do you have any other stories? Or is that it? 
was my stories. We talked about the Beyond Me, and that was the other story that I had. So um, that was the ones I was ready and prepared for. So I think we did talk about, let's see, I did have one here on my phone, and I'm pretty sure it was the Dolly, the Dolly one. Yep, that was the other one I had to talk about, $1 million coronavirus research to the Vanderbilt University um, for Moderna's vaccine. So, yeah, that is my stories that I had. Okay, well then... We'll get to my last story here. and Like I said, I wanted to close out with a good uplifting story. This is from OregonLive.com. It says, Mount Rainier hiker lost in whiteout, clinically dead for 45 minutes. Then two days later, he opened his eyes. It took <gasps> dozens of park rangers, searchers, doctors, and nurses, but Michael Nepinski, who became lost amid freezing whiteout conditions in Mount Rainier National Park last weekend, was brought back to life in what his medical team is calling a miraculous recovery. The 45-year-old from Woodenville left for a snowy hike with a friend on the morning of November 7th. His friend planned to ski down the mountain to Camp Muir while Nepinski was going to snowshoe to paradise. I was pretty close to the end of the trail. Then it turned to whiteout conditions and I couldn't see anything, Nepinski told the Seattle Times in a phone interview Friday. The last thing he said he remembers is taking baby steps down the mountain surrounded by white. I'm not sure what happened. I think I fell, he said, noting bruises and scrapes all over his body. When Nepinski didn't make it back to, to the Paradise parking lot that evening, his friend reported him missing, according to the park. Three National Park Service teams searched for Nepinski until early Sunday when winter conditions minimized visibility and temperatures dropped to 16 degrees, the park said. Later that morning, teams returned to their search. Because cloudy weather initially prevented rescue teams from launching air operations, the helicopter team didn't start searching until later that afternoon, the park said. Helicopter searchers finally found the Penske in the Nisqually River drainage, about a mile upstream from the Glacier Bridge, the park said. Once the ground teams reached him in the, about an hour later, a Navy helicopter from an air station on Whidbay Island responded to bring him to Harborview Medical Center in Seattle. Nepinski arrived at Harborview Sunday night, still unconscious. He had a pulse, recalled Dr. Janelle Bajulik, one of the first people to start treating him, but he soon went into cardiac arrest. He died while he was in the ER, which gave us the unique opportunity to try and save his life by basically bypassing his heart and lungs, which is the most advanced form of artificial life support that we have in the world. He remained dead for about 45 minutes, while teams reportedly administered CPR and hooked him up to an extracorporeal membrane oxygenation machine. In that process, blood is pumped outside of the body to a heart-lung machine that removes carbon dioxide and sends oxygen-filled blood back to tissues in the body. After they restarted his heart, the medical team spent the entire night at his side, making sure he continued to stabilize. So, basically just a miraculous story of survival and recovery. Dang, I don't know that they could take the blood out of the body and oxygenate it and take the carbon monoxide out and pump it back in and keep the body alive without the heart and the, lung, heart and the lungs. That is some witchcraft. Isn't that kind of dialysis? Taking the blood out and cleaning it and putting it back in? I mean, in? dude, they bypassed his heart and his lungs. Yeah, but like I said, it was wow. It was a good uplifting story for the end of the show. You know what else is going to be good and uplifting when he gets that doctor bill? Well, hopefully he has good insurance. 
which thankfully we have a president who's going to work on for everybody. Yes, child, yes. But that is it for the news this week. When we come back, we will be reviewing two films. One, The Impossible, which is available currently on Netflix, and Black Christmas, which the, quote, broadcast version is available to watch on Pluto TV for free with ads. So we will be back in just a few short seconds. First up, one more little bit of news that I forgot to mention. Today was the day it premiered. HBO Max is finally part of the Amazon Fire family. Fire Tablet, Fire Stick, Amazon Fire TV. You can watch HBO Max on them now. So that makes it much better for me because I was accessing it through the PlayStation 4. Now I don't have to turn on the PlayStation 4 and go to the thing and all of that. I can just click over to my Fire Stick and access the thing real quickly, which I like. Easy is always better for me. Oh! But we are reviewing two movies this week. First up, we're going to review The Impossible, currently available on Netflix. IMDb ranked it 7.6 out of 10, Rotten Tomatoes gave it 81%, and Metacritic gave it 73 Paul, you picked this one, so I will let you discuss it first. Okay. Um, I was kind of trying to figure out what I was going to watch this week. Um, I kind of went to... I kind of cheated a little bit. I went to Netflix, and I looked through their their top ten movies uh, this past week, and that movie was currently last week was at their top ten. And I thought, I've never heard of The Impossible. So um, I clicked on it and I thought, okay, this was about the tsunami that, um, that happened after Christmas Day back in, um, in Thailand, Arizona, in 2004. And um, everybody can remember where they were when they found out about that uh, tsunami that hit Thailand. I mean, it was massive. It ended up killing thousands of people. And it, you know, just a really a tragic, tragic a natural um, event um, that really took lots of people out of surprise, you know, by surprise. So this has um, a lot of A-list actors in it. it. Has Naomi Watts, Ewan McGregor, Tom Holland when he was a kid. So uh, and I thought, wow, this would be a good movie. And boy, uh, is it a nail-biter. For them to create this movie and recreate it, to recreate the flood scene coming from the ocean, it looked so real. The injuries. um, It's it's basically a story, and I don't want to go too much into it for people that hasn't seen it, but it's a story about a real family based on a true story and what they went through with this natural phenomena that hit and what it took them what what happened to them during this that's all i'm going to say about it but so, uh, real quick because it kind of touches on that the one of the trivia things here says the scene where the tsunami hits the resort could only be filmed once it would have cost too much money to rebuild the set and that one take was 
really well done. You really get the feel of the tsunami in that take. I mean, it looked real. I mean, however they recreated that to create that giant wave coming in and hitting the resort, my gosh. It, to me, I mean, I've seen the real footage on YouTube. You can go to YouTube and, and Google it and see the, the monster waves coming in and hitting those buildings and sweeping the people away. And it looked exactly like that in, in the recreation for this movie. I mean, it is just horrifyingly real. It also says it's Tom Holland's feature film debut, which I will say, I could tell it was Tom Holland. It, it, through about the first 30 minutes or so, I wasn't paying that much attention to him. After that, I was like, he looks familiar. And then I was just, oh, that's Tom Holland. So I didn't have to look up who he was. You could definitely tell it was him as a kid. Yeah, so, did you see him doing the backflips on the beach? Playing out there on the beach? I guess not. Whenever I saw him doing that, and I went, oh my God, that is Tom Holland. Because he does all of his own flips and stuff in, in Spider-Man. He does all of his own. That's really him in Spider-Man doing all those flips back and forth. That, that's him doing it. I will say... Now, again, this is based on a true story, and most of it is supposed to be legitimate. The saddest thing to me was the guy the father met along the way, the one that let him use his phone, who yeah. said that he was his leg was hurting, it was in a brace on his knee, and yeah. he was taking a nap in the hotel, and he found a note from his wife, saying that she and their child were on the beach. We're on the beach. And yeah. you know, they didn't go into it, but you know they most likely did not survive. Yeah, you know. There was nowhere for them to go, things. no way to get away from it. They would have been hit too hard, too fast, and water hitting you like yeah, that. that. And living with that note in your pocket. Yep. Hmm. One one real big issue I had, though, was when the father didn't know what happened to his wife and other child, he sent the two children that he had with him to higher ground to keep them safe, but didn't stay with them. And I understand all the things going through his mind at that time, but for me personally, yeah. I think it's a better idea to go get somewhere safe have a place where you can meet somebody, get contact information, and find out if there's any information on your wife and other child. So, that I had a major yeah. issue, and probably what really happened, and I can't fault him for it, but I think it was a poor judgment call on his part. Well, you gotta see from his perspective, he was going to stay behind and look... Yeah. For the wife and the other kid. So, um, well, I can see it from both points. The Another thing I saw in the trivia here was the real color of the kid's ball was yellow, not red as shown in the film. Maria Ballone said it was the biggest lie in the movie, which I don't think is right, because this next part of trivia makes the family the biggest lie of the movie. The real family that the main characters are based on are, in fact, Spanish, but living in Japan at the time of the tsunami. This family was not British. Spanish. They were Australian, and they were white. Australian, that's what it was. Yeah. 
And they were living in Japan, so that part they got right. But to me, that was the biggest lie of the film, because you've changed their whole ethnic background. It's like they made it white. Yep. Yeah. But Which I did not know that. So you're sitting here reading that, and I did not know that. Yeah. Well, I noticed it at the end of the film, because they show a picture of the actual family right before the credits they roll. Did. And I could tell they were Hispanic. But that was that was a problem for me. It's like, why would you change them? If you're making this a true story, there are plenty of Hispanic actors that they could have hired. They oh, could yeah. have done every bit as well as these. And not taking away from anything, because this is probably one of the best things I've seen Tom Holland do. But, because I'm not a big fan of his Spider-Man, by the way. But, just... Well, it's, it's not as much him, even though he is bad about giving away key elements of his films before they come out. But it's the fact that it's nothing like the comic. Like, this Spider-Man that Tom Holland portrays, the only problem he really has is a rich guy took away his toys. There's not really any mention of Uncle Ben. There's no allergies. There's no real money problems. None of that that he's supposed to have as the comics because Stanley painted him as the everyman and wanted him to be burdened with issues. Making well, more real. No, not, not true, exactly. You don't remember him, uh, Tony Stark, walking into his bedroom and he had all those old computers set up in his bedroom and it's like it looked like stuff that you get out of the junkyard and he had it up and running you don't remember that part well but by the same token peter parker is a scientist who probably knew computers at this point in time and could yeah. rework those computers really cheaply to make them good yeah that's so, what he did but that's not a problem and plus, he lived with his Aunt May in an apartment. Which is supposed to be the story, but Aunt May was also a problem because they turned her into a sex kitten. <laughs> I'm serious. Aunt a May never dated. Kitten. She never dated. After Uncle Ben died, she never dated. Not that I've seen. Well, she, well, who was well, I don't remember her dating anybody in the movies. Happy? insinuated more than dinner. What's wrong with going to dinner? But they made Aunt May a sex kitten. Didn't oh, work for me. please. Aunt I May's mean, a sweet little old lady. Rosemary Harris. The perfect Aunt May. And you know me, I love Sally Field. I think she's one of the greatest actors of all time. I think she was the best one. Rosemary Harris was the best Aunt May. She was gray-haired. She was likable. She just fit the part of Aunt May every now, way she can She was with Toby Spider-Man Maguire. Spider-Man was this. Toby Maguire? Yes. See, I think Toby Maguire was a horrible Spider-Man. He was more accurate than Tom Holland. Oh, no, he's not, because uh, the real Spider-Man did not have spinnerets built into his wrist. They were doing the Ultimate Spider-Man comics, which is what that was in the comics. Well, I'm sorry, but the one from television that I grew up on had the things on his wrist, and he sprayed them from his wrist, from the machines. Yeah, but they they more based the Tobey Maguire 
Mm-hmm. Off of the Ultimate Spider-Man line instead of the classic Spider-Man. Uh, do I like Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man? Yes. Did I like... Do I, what's the Garfield? Andrew Garfield. Uh, what's his name? Andrew. Andrew Garfield, I think, did an amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. I think he did. He did it justice. And, and notice it was called The Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, okay. And then, and then there's Tom Holland. But the reason, let's see, the reason why there's been so many Spider-Mans is because of Sony. Can't get their stuff straight. Well, right? let's face it. With Tobey Maguire, one and two were phenomenal. Oh, those were great movies. I loved them. Three, and they were blockbusters. Three really bombed. Not oh, financially, but it, the story just really wasn't there. Now, correct me if I was wrong. Now, wasn't... Oh. That's... The Spider-Mans back then were by Sony Pictures. Not Was it in conjunction with Marvel? Yes. Marvel's always been so, producer, producer, and I've always had their label at the star. So, was that... Was Spider-Man the one that actually saved Marvel? Or was it Iron no. Man? No. Marvel Studios... Their first film that Marvel Studios did was Iron Man. Marvel was in bankruptcy. And Blade was made into a movie. Blade took Marvel out of bankruptcy. Oh, that's right. Blade came before Iron Man, right? Well, Iron Man came way after. Because Iron Man was like 2005, 2006. Well, that's what I said. Blade... Came before Blade Iron was Man. about ten years before Iron Man, but after Blade, you had the X Men, yeah, which were Fox Studios, and then you had Spider Man, which was Columbia Pictures Studios, owned by Sony. Yeah, and basically, now, if I'm not mistaken, Sony still owns the rights to yes, Spider Man, right? As long as they make films, they they keep the rights. Is isn't it supposed to be like every two years? They I'm have not to come sure out with what the deal is. Film? Some, some, it's all different, and I'm really not familiar with the contract for the Spider-Man. But like Fantastic Four, I think was a five-year deal, maybe ten years that they had to make a film to keep the rights. The Fantastic Four Part Two bombed. Well, the first two that they did the with Jessica Alba and Chris Evans, I liked both of them a lot. I thought they were I both really too. good. But that the other one they did, mm-hmm. uh, there was nothing that salvaged that one for me. No, it was just like pure trash. They should have just took the money and put it right in the trash. But it just, it was basically to keep Fantastic Four in their company. And Daredevil was another one that the rights finally came up from Fox and they didn't have anything in production. So it went back to Disney and Marvel. And that's how we got the Netflix, the Netflix Daredevil series. Okay. But, but back to the movie we were talking about. <laughs> the, we're so famous for doing that, by the way. <laughs> the budget for this film was estimated at $45 million. Opening weekend... This cannot be right. 
I think their numbers are switched. So I'm going to go with the gross from the USA as the opening weekend. Because the U.S. gross that it says is $19,019,882. The reason I say it's obviously switched is the opening weekend gross that they have listed is $143,818,000 and... Or no, maybe... Maybe that's because there was a comma there. So maybe it is... Maybe it only did open at $143,818. Because the comma and there's a space, which it was looking like all numbers as I was glancing at. So it apparently didn't open on very many screens and open at $143,818 on December 23rd, 2012. Grossed in the United States $19,019,882. Worldwide gross, however... $198,087,212. So, how much was the budget? $45 million estimated. Okay, so it, it made its money back. Yeah, so. but it needed the overseas desperately for the, the money to come back. And I don't know how all of it works because when you add in the, the cost of advertising and, and all of that, it tends to make the budget rise higher. So I don't know if it was a profit or not after everything because they didn't make the money in America because that's what they do focus on first is the American profit. <laughs> but what I will critique on it is it started out very slow, but it quickly picked up after the first 15 minutes. But that first 15 minutes was reminding me of a movie that was really bad called Open Water. Where they just put stuff in there to fill up time. Because open water, I don't know if you saw it. It was two people who got left in the ocean. They couldn't possibly know the actual story. So they spent like 30 minutes prior to them going on the boat to go scuba diving before they get left in the ocean. And in that, there's a scene where they're in the hotel... And they're going to have sex, and they don't have sex, and they're going to have sex, and they don't have sex. And it's just, they're fighting. And it's like, why put this in there? It didn't move the story along. It was just bad. They didn't know that that actually happened. So, why not make them look at least better than that? Like, give them a loving evening out on the town or something? Well, instead of them not having sex and fighting? Well, I also I have a I have a believe it or not I don't critique movies very much and you know that I always uh, always like either love it or hate it or like it or whatever. This I have to critique a little bit because I did do some research on this tsunami, and I've read about it a lot about how it hit. Um, there was warnings from the ma- animals way before the tsunami hit. It just didn't, you know, on the movie it showed them like hightailing it right before the tsunami hit. Well, that was just no. the birds, too. Do I? That was just the birds that they showed. I know, but there was there was goats, there was dogs, there was That's cats. That's what I'm saying. Is in, in the movie, they only show the birds flying. They didn't show anything else. I'm talking about in real life. I know. That's what I'm saying. In I'm agreeing real with life, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Birds, and I mean, the, the animals were hightailing it well before... They, and they were giving out distress calls before 
the tsunami hit, those animals, the animals are tied to the, the spirit of the earth. It's been shown before whenever natural disasters hit. It's just like 30 minutes before the earthquake hit in Washington, D.C., in Virginia, that hit so hard there. It, you know, it did a lot of damage to D.C. that one year. Um, 30 minutes before the, the earthquake hit, the monkeys were giving out distress calls at the zoo. The animals were just losing their minds literally warning everybody about this this earthquake getting ready to happen so they're in tune with the spirit of the earth just like those animals were in tune with the spirit of the earth there before that tsunami hit they were hightailing it out of there before anyone else knew what was going on and so the birds were actually leaving the area well before the tsunami hit as well so uh that, that whole timing there, I have a problem with, the way they did it there on the movie. Um, because they they made it look like the birds just started leaving and all of a sudden, boom, the tsunami hit. That wasn't real at all. Uh, those birds were leaving well before that tsunami hit. A lot of, and then people were going, what's going on here? So, and then they found out. Because when the tsunami hit, it actually... And this is another part they don't they don't talk about in the movie. The water recedes some back into the ocean because the the tsunami is bringing so much water into it that the actual ocean recedes a little bit back from the shore before the tsunami hit. So that was a pure key factor. Boom! They knew a tsunami was coming, and by the time they realized the ocean was receding, it was too late because that giant wave was coming in on them. That's how it happened. Well, while you were saying all that, I, I did read, and it's under spoilers in the trivia, but it's really not a spoiler. It said, the family on which this story is based were present during the whole shooting process. They were giving tips, especially Maria Ballone, who was portrayed by Naomi Watts. The whole family also attended the, fil- the film's premiere at the Toronto Film Festival in 2012. So, they did advise the film as it was rec- was filming, so... At least they had first-hand experience Some there, but first-hand, yeah, eye counts, yeah. As we all know, we remember things differently than they actually happened, and yeah. especially in something like this, it's going to be much different in our minds than what actually happened because oh, it is a traumatic event. It's going to be pure chaos and death. You're surrounded by chaos and death. But, so yeah, but yeah, the cast was great. The the except for the fact that they're completely wrong for the characters. The, the I mean, there's some A-listers by all means here. The production was high points. The the effects were phenomenal. Oh my god, yeah. Um, they had underwater shots. They had. People being ripped away. I didn't like seeing the carcass of the dog. I felt like that could have been left out. And just they leave it to the imagination rather than actually show it on the screen. Because I'm real tender-hearted when it comes to animals getting hurt on the screen. I don't like to see it. So that part... Well, you know um, that wasn't a real dog. It doesn't anyways. matter. It's still the whole point. And 
it's kind of like when I watch a film that has splatter on the screen. Like, I can lose myself in the movie while I'm watching it, but as soon as you have the blood splatter or mud splatter or whatever hit the screen, on you the take screen. me right out of it and tell me I'm watching a movie. And I don't like that. I want to be a part of it and just be an observer watching it. But if you show me that I'm not an observer, that I'm watching a film, then you heard it. And there's things that I like that do that. And I always get mad when they do it because what's the point? I mean, I know you're trying to emulate the video games that they splatter onto you, but if you're in real life and something comes flinging at your eyes, your eyes automatically close. So when you open your eyes, there's no splatter there. It's all over your face, yeah. but it's not in yeah, your vision. I remember seeing that with the latest Jurassic World they did. Um, like the animal did something, and all of a sudden it's like splatter hit the screen while they were doing it. And I was like, ooh, okay, that's different. I do remember that on Jurassic World. They were watching fast, one of the Fast and the Furious movies at work the other day, and I think it was one of them that did it too. It's just, you're taking me out and telling me I'm a movie, you're watching a movie, and let me just be a part of the experience and not remind me that I'm watching a movie. Because I already know can I'm I watching a movie, but I can get lost in it if there's not that. Can I tell you, I've only seen the first Fast and Furious movie, and I haven't seen none of the rest of them, because I'm like, mm, I can live without it. Oh, they're all terrible. The only so. times I've watched them is at work, because the patients love them, and... I can't get away from them sometimes, and they're just terrible. Yeah, I'm like, hmm. But... And I still can't... Anyways, go ahead. Uh, what were you going to say? Because I was going to go to the ratings for this one. I was going to say, I still can't believe, you know, whenever that one character... What's his name? Paul? Paul Walker. Uh, when he died in that car wreck in real life in the middle of filming the... Fast and Furious, and they had to get his brother to step in for his role, and they had to digitize his face to so he could finish the movie. Anyways, I, I think that was kind of wrong that they did that, but that's I do understand the reason why they had to do it. But well, it's it's also you're touching on a, a very touchy subject there because I am not one of those who says we don't need this stuff in movies because it just makes people emulate it. But these films really do make people emulate it. I've seen it firsthand coming out of oh, the yeah. theater after they let out. Because I was watching something else. And the same night the people came out of the Fast and the Furious. They were out in the parking lot revving up their cars. Raring to go. I'm like, it's not real life. And let me just say real quick. Nothing was worse than any of them. Than the one, and I don't know which one it was. People who have watched it will know. The scene where they have two cars pulling this great big safe behind them. And they're struggling for the cars to take off with it. And they're driving and dragging this safe. Like literally knocking walls out of buildings as it hits when they drive by. And towards the end, they unhook one of the cars. And the other car is all of a sudden able to pull that safe by itself where two of them could barely pull it before. And as it, that car is pulling it, it's literally slinging the safe around, slamming cars off the bridge. It's like, 
make it at least believable, and that was not. I've never seen that scene, nor do I care to see it. But I think it was in I'm the fifth one. But word for it's it. it's just bad. I mean, it, like I can forgive a lot. Like I can suspend belief that a man can fly. I can suspend belief that a man can wear a suit of armor that's computerized. That I can follow and believe in. But when you depict two cars having trouble taking off with this safe, and then one car miraculously can do it by itself all of a sudden, yeah, I can't believe that. You've already told me I can't believe that. Isn't it exhausting? <laughs> I just... <laughs> but anyways... I'll let you go first on the rating for The Impossible because it was your pick. Um, the, like I said, the whole reason why I picked it because it was it was part of the top ten series of Netflix. And I was wanting something that was going to be a little bit different from what it's doing. And, you know, a lot, we, do, we tend to do a little bit of crowd favorites. Um when it comes to the movies that we've been choosing. So I chose to do The Impossible because it actually intrigued me about the whole reason of it being um, based on that tsunami that hit on the day after Christmas. Um, so uh, I do remember waking up and seeing that on um, on the news that morning that it had actually hit. And I remember talking to my mom when she was alive and uh, we're talking about how horrible it was. And... Um, how many lives that actually touched and uh, how many people were dead that they were estimating about it. And it, it was just a very tragic story. And it really touched me to my core about it because I remember thinking how horrible it would be to die in such a tragedy like that, a natural disaster uh, and that you, ha you could have no control over. It's like a tornado or a hurricane or whatever. But a hurricane, you have a warning about. This, they didn't. Um, and kind of a tornado, you have a warning about because, you know, we have the people there watching the Doppler radar for you. This, there was no warning. But um, anyways, I really liked the movie. There was a lot of A-listers playing in it. And uh, seeing Tom Holland as a child, basically, in this movie, and as his breakout role, um, I, I liked the movie, and um, do, do I suggest it to to watch it? I highly suggest to watch it because it, it, it is actually um, informative about what happened to this family. Uh, but anyways, I'm going to give it three and a quarter stars. I'm going to give it a solid three and a quarter stars. Um, but the special effects is just out of this world in this movie. It, it, it is so believable. This is what happened to the people. So, but um, uh, did you see if it won any awards, Chris? Did I you didn't see? Pay was it? I know it was Do nominated. I? I don't know if it won. I I did just see while you were giving your review that on Bing they listed as a British family instead of Australian. I thought they were supposed to be Australian. And I'm pretty sure both you and McGregor and Naomi Watts are Australians, but anyway, still, it's not a Hispanic family, and that kind of I see, bothers me. I see right. Yeah, 
going back to those awards, I see it was nominated for an Oscar for Best Performance of an Actress in a Leading Role. Is nominated for a bunch, but it, I don't see where it got won anything. But anyways, yeah, I, I thought it was I thought it was supposed to be in a British movie, but when you said it's Australian, I was like, oh, okay, whatever. I don't, uh, maybe that's what they were supposed to be as Australian. Well, I was thinking that they were Australian, but regardless, they're not Hispanic in... Yeah, Naomi Watts was born in the United Kingdom. Ewan McGregor was Scotland, so. And Tom Holland, I'm pretty sure, was Britain. Yeah, London, England. So. As far as casting them that way, they were right. But as far as casting them by the actual family, they were very wrong. But. There were some. And this does actually fit into the Christmas movie category because it starts out on Christmas Eve and runs, I think, December 27th is the, the finale of the film. And it is a true story. Of course, anybody who watches Oprah knows that Nate Burkus lost his lover in the tsunami. And yeah, I remember that. There were... Inter there was an interview that he did on Oprah Winfrey show about it. Um, so it's it's definitely a tragedy that really happened. To have the family there to give their take on the story was definitely beneficial for this film. The effects are absolutely phenomenal. You can really feel the pressure of the water in scenes, and and I was sitting there thinking I can't swim. I would have died. Because even... Hold on. Wait. You can't swim? Nope. Chris. I'm going to make it my life goal to teach you to swim. Nope. Yes. Nope. But... Yes. Anyhow, even the best swimmers could have been easily killed in this situation. Oh, because yeah. Because the, oh, yeah. the current and the undertow and everything else... And, and the debris. The debris is not the debris in the water. The, she gets stabbed by the, the the roots or whatever sticking up in the water as she's pu pushed by the water. So there's all kinds of issues that happen that anybody could not survive. And the fact that they did and found each other so quickly is an amazing story in itself. Um, but as far as... The movement of the story, like I said, it starts out really slow and almost like it was a bunch of filler, but it goes quickly into the tsunami, and that's where the story really does pick up, and it's only about 15 minutes of slowness, but in that 15 minutes, like I said, it was really reminding me of open water. I wasn't overly thrilled with it, like I would not have considered it for an Oscar for acting or screenplay or anything, but I would have definitely considered it for effects. Because that tsunami really did look what I would think it would look like. And just the the water shooting through the resort alone. The knocking down the palm trees as it's headed that way. And they can see the palm trees going down. It's It really does build it and let you know the force of this water. So, oh, the wind. The wind coming off of it. Yeah. But like I said, the script is not the strongest. 
I would give it three out of five. It's definitely worth watching. Maybe go back and watch it again somewhere down the road. But it's not the best film I've ever seen. But if you want to watch a movie that's set at Christmas, there you go. It doesn't to have me, to be I about Christmas to be a Christmas movie. Do to it? me, it was intense for me to watch it. Because uh, it was just an intense movie for me to watch. I was stressed out after I watched oh, it. Oh, there's some definite emotional moments in the film. Good and bad. Yeah. And I like the the part where she sent her son to help other people in the hospital. Yeah. I thought that was a really good scene, giving him a purpose, helping him get his mind off of her laying there on the table. So, and that was something else that I didn't like. And real quick spoiler warning here, but at the end, when they're going back home, they say she's going to be fine. But prior to that, he looked at her leg, her son did, and looked upset by what he was seeing by her leg. So I wish they would have gone into what happened there better because they never did expand on it. But he definitely was visibly bothered by her leg. By, like, yeah, by, by her leg. And, and she he, kept saying if it say was black, it was, it was bad. And it was always red until then. And after he saw that, he didn't say a color or anything. That I would have liked an explanation to. So that's one major flaw that I saw with it. Obviously... She turned out fine because she was on the set, but it would have just been nice to have a little bit of explanation there. Yeah. But moving on, our next film is the original Black Christmas. After last week's terrible remake of Black Christmas, the diabolical. I wanted to see what they were basing it on, and. Gotta say, real quick, I am so thankful this was so different than that movie. First off, IMDb gave it 7.2 out of 10, Rotten Tomatoes 71%, and Metacritic 65. This is the 1974 version. As I said, it is available on Pluto TV as a broadcast version. Paul, where did you see you watched it? I watched it on, um, uh, I watched it on Peacock. Well, I found another copy of it, and the broadcast version, I would not suggest, because I got into it about ten minutes, and they were chopping so much of the language, and it, to me, if I'm going to watch it, and Pluto TV does show R-rated films without censoring them, so I don't know why Black Christmas, it may be licensing that they couldn't get the actual version but watch it on Peacock if you can because it's not worth watching on on Pluto TV just because oh, of the choppiness of it. Yeah, on the, the Peacock version, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to repeat the words that they used inside this movie because it is filth. But um, I don't see how it could be quote-unquote a broadcast TV version of this. It, it was just raunch, raunchy words. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. But I can see how it it was for the effect of the movie, because um, I didn't mean to hijack this, Chris, but oh, I want to toss it back to you. But it um, it actually used the obscene phone caller big time in this movie, because you know, in today's terms, 
FaceTimes, you can't use obscene phone callers because there's star 69 and there's oh, well, that's and there's also caller ID. And there's no way people can get away with that unless they just restrict the number. Nobody's going to answer a restricted number anymore. But they use the obscene phone caller to the nth degree in this movie. But I'm tossing it back to you, Chris. Well, I was just looking at the cast. I knew I recognized the name Olivia Hussey. She plays Jess, who is the basic star of the film. She was Juliet in the Romeo and Juliet film, which I'm sure we've all seen. She was also Audra Denbrough in, or Denbrough, however you say it, in It, the TV miniseries from 1990. So she's definitely been around the, on the screens. Margot Kidder, of course, Lois Lane. And when I was watching it, I was looking at the screen, and I was like, is that her? And it sure enough was Andrea Martin. SCTV alumni, which, if you recall, I've mentioned it before, SCTV gave us uh, Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy, both stars of Schitt's Creek, which won a whole bunch of Emmys this year. Every Emmy it was up for in the major categories. Just pointing that out. So, great talent there. And also, John Saxon, who we honored a few weeks back after his passing. Of course, the father from Nightmare on Elm Street, as well as so many other great starring roles that he's performed. This one, okay, the the remake was dealing with black magic and was just a terrible story. This one is so believable. The, The calls were coming from inside the house because there were two different phone lines in the house. He snuck in through the attic and was hiding in the attic. So, and you see that at the beginning, so I'm not really giving anything away other than the calls coming from inside the house, which, again, if you know he's in the house, it's not a giveaway. But John Saxon plays the detective looking into the case. Margot Kidder is one of the sorority girls in the house. He is basically targeting the girls in the house, their discussions from inside the house, leading them to believe that the killer was somebody they knew when he calls and recites word for word things that were said inside the house. And I won't go into any of that. And we mentioned that John Carpenter wanted to do a sequel to this film where the killer was in the mental asylum and set at Halloween for the sequel, which ended up becoming Michael Myers, a different story entirely. But, so there's, this movie has a lot going on it. It spawned Halloween, basically, and you got Margot Kidder, who we all love as Superman's Lois Lane. You got John Saxon, you got Andrea Martin, Olivia Hussey... The nothing against her, but her voice, it was some kind of accent that I couldn't really place. I don't know if you noticed it, but her accent oh, yeah. just didn't quite belong with the rest of them, which there's nothing against that because she could have been from another country, moved here, and gone to school. Anything was possible, so I'm not faulting it for that. 
It's just, it was kind of hard to figure out what her accent was supposed to be. And they never did touch on it, which they didn't really need to, but it was just a, one of those little side things that took me off. It says here that she has starred in the movie Roxanne with Steve Martin as well. Yeah, I don't think I ever watched that one. That one was Cyrano de Bergerac, wasn't it? It says Olivia Hussey met producers for the film Roxanne since they were interested in cast. Oh, they're interested in casting her in a role. Roxanne co-star Steve Martin and her said, oh my, oh my God, Olivia, you were one of the most favorite fans. Okay, I see that now. But wasn't, it, wasn't Roxanne the one based on Cyrano de Bergerac? Yeah. That's what I thought. There is no box office gross on this film, but the estimated budget was $620,000. And Ow. outside of being dated because of when it was filmed, it does not look like a low budget. But granted, in 1974, $674,000 would be multi-millions today. So, That's a lot of money. And... There was really no big special effects. There was a lot of acting that was needed. The The phone calls really built the suspense on it. So it didn't need the, the effects. There was a side story about a girl that went missing, the high school girl. They never did go into whether or not that was to be the same killer or not, but... It was just another thing to cause worry in the town. Well, I, I, in my mind, I kept, you know, comparing the two movies together to see if I could see any kind of correlation in between the two movies, why they would call the new movie Black Christmas, you know, as they was trying to build it off of the original movie. Now, I could see, you know, well, in the original movie, they were getting obscene phone calls. In the new movie, they were getting obscene phone texts. Well, they weren't even really obscene. They weren't really obscene. It was just like... Now, the calls were... They were mysterious. Yeah, they were mysterious text text messages. were not. So, I could see how they were trying to play it off of that, with it being mysterious phone text messages to these girls living in a sorority. And uh, and, I could, and, I could, and they also had a a similarity between the two of them was the cat. You know, um, what was the cat's name in the movie? Um, was it Claude? Mrs. Some, Claude or Mrs. This. Anyway, they had a similarity between that because there was a cat in the original movie that that was making a noise and then in the um, remake in the 2019 version there was a cat making a noise in the second version so I do see a correlation between that but that's where it kind of ends for me because the the killer in the original movie was one right one person yes and in the remake it was multiple persons it was a whole sorority going after these girls okay. dressed in these outfits his fraternity and going after the sorority girls. yeah it, 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 
that's where the similarity ended. And I'm going, how can you call that new movie Black Christmas? I don't get it. Well, right below, I don't know if you read this one, right below the trivia you read, it says... NBC scheduled this film for its primetime network debut on January 28, 1978, under the title Stranger in the House. On January 15, 1978, two female students at Florida State University were murdered by an assailant who broke into the sorority house where they lived. Three other young women in the immediate vicinity were attacked and assaulted. NBC received numerous pleas from locals to pull the movie from broadcast in light of the, of the crimes, and after first stating that they would offer the local affiliates an alternative movie to broadcast, they decided to just pull the plug on the movie altogether. Instead, the film Doc Savage, Man of Bronze was shown. NBC instead ran Stranger in the House as a late movie on May 14th the same year. The perpetrator of the crimes at Florida State University was later identified as serial killer Ted Bundy. Shut up. So... Huge miss there if they have aired it. Which, just throwing this out there, January 28th, my birthday. We're still far away from your birthday, by the way. Oh, it's always my birthday. Okay. You can always give me gifts. Just throwing that out there. Cash never fits, by the way. I do have those. What is it we talked about? What? I got you a TJ Maxx. What was those things oh, those that two, I have in my car? The, the Geeky Tiki's Wonder Woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what that is. But So. Oh, here's something else, too. The, the audio for the demented phone calls was edited into the film during post-production. While shooting the footage for the phone call scenes, the actresses were actually just reacting to threatening dialogue being spoken from director Bob Clark from off-camera. The, the one thing I will say as a flaw in this movie is I don't understand how the killer was making all those noises and all those different voices because it couldn't be his victims every time because one, people would have heard outside of the phone and two, he couldn't have drugged them all over the house without being caught. So I don't really know where... I was thinking maybe he recorded them on a tape while he was killing them and then played it, but it never does explain any of that. But it's it's not a huge thing. It's just one of those little things that I happened to notice as I was watching. Oh, did you see how they were doing? It's like um, they were doing, uh, I thought it was interesting, you know, they was trying to trace the calls and they actually had to physically trace inside yeah which that was really cool because I never even began to think that I just thought it took time for the computer to figure out where the calls were instead of some guy running through a room following the signal from the phone they were physically doing it back in the 70s like oh my god I didn't realize that they did that yeah it was it was definitely wild to see and uh, in my mind, is I thought they were actually, you know, in the old school computers, but no, they were actually physically tracing their signals. <laughs> well, you know, if you watch Wonder Woman, you see the old supercomputers on the screen quite a bit in the series when it's set in the 70s. Yeah. 
And yeah. So that's. I was just thinking when they traced the calls, the supercomputers were working, figuring out where it was. I didn't realize they actually went running from machine to machine following the signal to see where it was originating from. And I thought that was pretty cool. And it, to me, it's getting to those supercomputers. You remember whenever they were doing, what was it? Um, uh, Hydra in one of those movies for Civil War or what was it? Where they go to that old bunker and it shows Black Widow and and um, and Captain America down in that bunker. And it shows that Hydra voice, whatever it is. Yeah, and it shows all those was. old computers lighting up inside that movie for Marvel. Was that, wasn't that Captain America Civil War? When that, what that was? I was wanting to say The Winter Soldier, but I don't know. I can't remember which one it was. It might have been Civil War. Somebody out there probably knows. So anyway, in my mind, I thought there was those old computers too, where those tubes was lighting up and all that. So, and then, but, Dude, they were physically going back and forth following these signals. So, anyway. Uh, I will say I don't really have much else to say on it other than stuff that will give everything away. But as as far as the the film itself, yeah, it's kind of dated. Yeah, it's a horror movie. And it is set at Christmas. And the story, I think the story is really well done. Just it was like like and I said, it's so much more believable than that horrible remake we watched last week. And yeah, the the film's kind of grainy, and but it it looks good. It's just kind of grainy and. I like that because it gives the whole retro feel. Also, with the graininess, it gives kudos to the the killer aspect of it because you don't want a crisp, clean film always when you're talking about a serial killer film. And I think it works for the atmosphere of the film. Is it the best acting in the world? No. Is it the best story in the world? No. Is it enjoyable? Most definitely. If you like a horror film, or if you want a horror film set at Christmas, this is definitely a good choice. This was a classic suspense horror film. It was a suspenseful horror film. And there's not a lot of gore. There is some. No. But not a lot. A little bit. And there's a lot of surprises in this that I didn't expect, and I don't want to go into them because, again, spoilers, but as for me... I've got to say that I would give it three and a half out of five because it is, like I said, a very good story that you can believe. But it's a horror film, so yeah, it's not going to be cinematic masterpiece. What did you think, Paul? I really enjoyed the movie. I was, in my mind, I was constantly comparing it to the 2019 Black Christmas that trash that we watched (laughs) I really was really having a hard time with this but I can honestly see that anyways I really enjoyed it would I watch it again I think I'd like to watch it again so um, 
job with it back in the 70s and with the special effects of what they had to use with the with the uh, technology they had back then so they did a good job with it I give it a good solid three and a half stars as well so um, I really would like for people to do what we did watch the original Black Christmas from the 1974 then watch the 2019 Black Christmas or, and you'll understand or reverse because or, or reverse that it. way you get the horrible out of the way and then watch the good one yeah do like what we did too so we wanted to see what it was all about then so how we understand the difference yeah so anyways uh three and a half stars so so chris bringing it back to you okay well that's pretty much it for this week next week like i said earlier we're going to do the christmas review show no news just reviews don't know what all we will be doing, but definitely one of them will be the Netflix film Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square, because it is Dolly and we love her, and it's just perfect for the time of the year. We will be recording on Black Friday next week, so it'll be even a day later than what we usually get to record, because my schedule has changed, but it, I think it'll work out better for us anyways. Do you have anything right offhand? I can't remember. I can't remember if I worked that night or not at TG Maxx, but it'll be interesting. But anyway, do you have any that you want to mention real quick that you want to review next week, or are you still thinking on it? No, I'm still thinking about it. What I want to do, and I think I want to do one of the classic Christmas movies, uh, whether it be Home Alone. Which I think that's one of my favorite go-to movies when it's a Christmas movie is Home Alone. It's definite. Come on. When you think of Home Alone, it's Christmas. Home Alone 1 and 2. Except for the one bad part in Home Alone 2, which lasts about 10 seconds. <laughs> and we all know what I'm referring to. But Anyway, last words, Paul? Everybody, look after everyone. Wear your mask. Be diligent in your health. That's all we can do. And be kind to one another. Um, just be diligent in your own health. I mean, that's uh, wear your mask. That's the only way we can get past this is to wear your mask. And hopefully the, the, vir- the vaccine is coming, getting closer and closer to that much-needed high you'll, percentage. So You'll be one of those getting it. Yeah, working in healthcare, else, I'll have to take it you, pretty quickly. You will be you'll be one of those that'll be getting it before I will. Yep. So, and that's another reason why I want a high success rate before they mass market this thing. Because I don't want to take it until it's definite, and I don't want anybody else to take it and it not work. But yeah. But that's it. So until next week with our Christmas Spectacular, that's it. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye.